0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Let me open us in prayer. Lord, thank you again uh, to be together and to celebrate your goodness and to hear from your word. Rejoice our hearts this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. It was February eighth, two thousand eleven, and even though the temperatures were in the single digits, fifty six thousand people gathered together outside in Green Bay, Wisconsin. The event uh, was filled with singing and rejoicing and dancing. Uh, No, it was not a Jacob's Well church service outdoors. Um, But this event did sell out within just a few hours the day before. This large event in the Arctic weather was the return to Titletown event for the Green Bay Packers after winning the Super Bowl in 2011. The crowd waved world championship flags and erupted into chants, go Pack, go and jump around and YMCA. When the players finally emerged from the The tunnel, the crowd erupted, purging 14 years of wanting and waiting and frustration. The players came out in parkas and stocking caps and they ran around the stadium holding the Lombardi trophy as people reached out and touched them and touched it. One woman named Amanda, uh, 33, from Milwaukee, said, I will never forget this. I got to touch the trophy but I couldn't actually feel it because her hands were so cold. And then she said, I touched Aaron Rodgers' pinky. I'll never wash my hand again. At the event, Mayor Jim Schmidt announced a city street would be named McCarthy's Way, and Governor Scott Walker declared February Packers Month. This Lambeau event was the culmination of a three-day celebration. Sunday night after the Packers won the Super Bowl, people would go outside and and there were green and gold fireworks going off everywhere. On Monday, people started uh, tailgating in Lambeau Field parking lot, even though it was negative teens with the wind chill. They were cooking hot dogs and throwing footballs around. And then there was a great parade all the way from the airport to Lambeau Field on Monday to welcome home the Packers. I'm curious, how many of you uh, were a part of this event? Were any of you there? None of them? Is it just because you're Presbyterian and can't raise your hand, or what's the deal here? So how many of you remember the event, at least on TV? Do you remember it? Do you remember the plumes of smoke coming out of their mouth as they talked because it was so cold outside? A great victory demands a great celebration. Whether it be an ice cream cone after A basketball game or a special dinner out after an A on the report card or a parade, a stadium full of people. A great victory demands a great celebration. Today we come to the end of the book of Esther. The threat has come. The battle is over. The victory has been had. And now it is time to celebrate because a great victory demands a great celebration equal in proportion. Today we get to read of the institution of the Jewish holiday of Purim. And it's a holiday that is still celebrated by Jews today. For many Jews, it's their favorite holiday of the year. And while there are many customs related to Purim, um, we want to really, uh, there, there's one custom that I kind of want to highlight today. So one of the customs in Purim um, is that they read the book of Esther in the synagogue, And when they read the book of Esther, whenever they get to Haman's name, everyone goes, boo, okay? And so, can we practice? Go, boo. Boo. Oh, that was weak. All right, here we go. Go, Haman, boo, Boo. okay. And whenever they would say Mordecai's name, they would go, yay. All right, so Mordecai. There we go. All right, great job. So so we're actually going to do that today. All right, so as I read through the, the end of the book of Esther, every time you hear Haman's name, you're going to go, Ooh. and every one time you hear Mordecai's name, you're going to go, hey. all right, teenagers, you're not too cool for this, just so you know, and those of you at home, I can't hear you, so you need to hear louder, okay, all right, <laughs> so here we go. Esther chapter 9, Uh, we're going to start in verse 20, actually, and then we're going to go through 10-3. So it's a longer passage, but pay attention so that you can get ready to boo and to yay. All right, you ready for this? Verse 20. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, "'obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar "'and also the 15th day of the same year by year. "'As the days on which the Jews got relief "'from their enemies,' And as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days of sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Verse 23, get ready. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, The Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and has cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days. Purim, after the term per. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail, they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into dis- disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Verse 29, get ready. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail and Mordecai, the Jew gave full written authority confirming the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in words of peace and truth that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed season as Mordecai, The Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting, the command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. Chapter 10, verse 1, King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. And all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the king of Media and Persia? For Mordecai, the Jew, was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. You know, I think as human beings made in the image of God, all of our hearts long for victory, whether it be our presidential candidate, our pickup basketball game, or even a board game, our hearts long for victory because generally there is joy in victory and there is agony in defeat. And the greater the victory, the greater the celebration. Last week, we read about the great victory of the Jews, and now we get to focus in on this celebration of Purim. In this passage, you see there's two different letters that go out throughout the empire. I think the first one's more informal. The second one is more declaring a national holiday for the Jews. But in these letters, we see certain details about Purim. And as we look at these details, one of the things that I have become a little more convinced of is that we as Christians today should also celebrate Purim in a very unique way. And so as we look at this passage, I want to ask questions about what it has to do with us, even as we understand their traditions when it comes to the celebration of Purim. And so the first question that I want to ask is, why should we celebrate Purim? And before we discuss why we should celebrate Purim, I want to ask, why do the Jews celebrate Purim? So look with me in verse 23. It says, so the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them, that is to observe the Feast of Purim. And here's the reason why, verse 24. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hammedatha, the enemy of all Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast Her or that is cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. If you remember, the Agagites were the arch enemy of the Jews. Haman the Agagite sought to kill the Jews and actually issued an edict for the annihilation of the Jews, the genocide of the Jews. Uh, And so he was the enemy of all the Jews. Okay, verse 25 goes on, says, but when it came before the king, Haman's evil plot, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. And so one reason why the Jews celebrated Purim was their victory over this single enemy of God's people, this enemy of Haman. But there's also a greater victory that is to be had. If you remember uh, from last week, verse 16 continues. And it says, or back to verse 16, it says, Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's province also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But they laid no hands on the plunder. Again, 75,000 is a staggering number of people to die Uh, in one day or two days. And remember that they were only, the Jews were only allowed to kill those that came to kill them. This was only in self-defense. And so there were 75,000 enemies of the Jews who came out to attack them. And by God's power and by God's grace, they defeated their enemy. Now something interesting is that Purim, which helps us understand why Purim is celebrated and kind of what the celebration is about. Something interesting is that Purim is not celebrated on the anniversary of the days of the battle. It's not celebrated on the day of victory. It's a celebration of the day after the victory, And it's helpful for us in understanding uh, what Purim is all about. So verse 20 through 22 again says, And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar, which is the day after the major battle, and the 15th day of the same year by year. The 15th day was the day after they were done in Susa, the citadel, if you remember. As the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned from them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. Again, the the celebration of Purim is not on the day of the battle and the victory. It's on the anniversary of the day after the battle and the victory. Because what it is celebrating is not the death of 75,000 people. What it is celebrating is the celebration of the victory of God for his people. Ian Duguid, who's a commentary commentator puts it this way. He says, holidays commemorating warfare and strife are celebrated on the day of the battle itself, typically. He says, although that the fateful day of the battle in Persia was Adar 13, Adar is the name of the month, Purim was to be celebrated not on Adar 13, but on Adar 14 and 15. As F. Bush points out, the festival does not celebrate victory in battle and the joy prescribed is not malicious glee over the slaughter of their enemies. The festival commemorates, rather, the fact that they gained relief from their enemies and that life was transformed for them from sadness to joy and from mourning to a holiday. And then Duguid continues, he says, the first occurrence of Purim was a spontaneous celebration of the joy of finding oneself still standing. On the day after, an irrevocable death decree was executed. The day of death had come and gone, and God's people were still alive. Thus Purim is, in is this sense, a Sabbath, a joyous rest after evil and the threat of death had passed. Another uh, big day in our nation's history is August 14th, 1945. Anybody know what that day is? Any chance? That's okay. Uh, I wouldn't know either. But it was, uh, it was a day that, the, that, the, uh, that Japan had surrendered to the Allies, uh, effectively ending World War II. And so both August 14th and 15th are celebrated as VJ Day, as well as September 2nd, uh, because that's when they actually signed the, the treaty. And so that is VG Day. It's a celebration day. But you may be able to remem- remember pictures from that day. Uh, Times Square filled with people, hundreds of thousands of people getting together. People were kissing strangers, which I do not recommend, but they were, so, they were holding up signs that said peace and they were celebrating. And you hear sound bites of people saying, This is the happiest day of my life because finally the war was over. Finally they had peace. Finally they had rest from their enemies. Even this year, which was the 75th anniversary of VJ Day, there were many celebrations that God had brought peace to the world, that there was relief from enemies and that sadness was turned into joy. Why did the Jews celebrate Purim? Because it was relief for the Jews from their enemies because God saved them from annihilation because God turned their frown upside down. I mean, it's not what it says in the Hebrew, but that's basically what it's saying, that God turned their mourning into gladness and their sorrow into joy. God made things wonderful again. That's why they celebrated Purim. But why should we celebrate Purim as a church? Well, one reason is because the Jews' story is our story. They are our spiritual heritage. They are our people. And so we celebrate what God has done in the lives of our people. But even more than that, is that it is a reminder that God upheld his promise, even against great threats. God's promise to Abraham to gather a people to himself and to sustain that people. But even more than that, a promise that was made to Adam and to Eve and made to King David, that from their seed, from their line, would come the savior of the world. You see, without Purim, there is no Jewish people. And without a Jewish people, there is no Jesus. And without Jesus, there is no salvation. And so we are so thankful for Purim because it was through God uh, protecting and guarding and saving his people that came the Savior of the world. And so we celebrate Purim as well. Now, how should we celebrate Purim? Again, let's look and see how the Jews celebrated Purim. As we already mentioned, they they celebrate the day after the the battle, after the victory. So they celebrate on the 14th day and the 15th day. And so that's part of it. It's it's mid-February to mid-March, if you're curious about that. Uh, But but looking at verse 22, we learn more about how they celebrated. It It says, As the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. And now here's how. That they should make them days of feasting and gladness. These are happy days. These are days of, of smiling and laughter and, and fellowship and enjoying one another. It's like Thanksgiving on steroids almost. It's, it's just a wonderful, great, happy day. Verse 22 continues and it says, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. God wanted to ensure that no matter what your income was, that you could celebrate this day of Purim with feasting and with joy. Verse 31 continues and says that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed season as Mordecai, the Jew, and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring. And then listen closely to this. It's just interesting. It says, with regard to their fasts and their lamenting, the command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim And it was recorded in writing. And so not only is feasting and joy a part of the celebration, but so is fasting and lamenting. Um, The way that I think it basically worked was the days prior to the 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 13th day or prior, there would be some time of fasting and mourning and grieving as people would identify the suffering of their people, the Jews, they would grieve with that. But then would come the 14th day, the day in which the battle was over for the rural Jews, and that, that mourning would turn into gladness and the fasting would turn into feasting and there would be great joy. And so that's how they would celebrate Purim. But how would we celebrate Purim? Well, as I, as I studied this festival of Purim, it's amazing how much Esther is like Easter. Um, if you think about the parallels between the story, there is this great enemy that has come out to attack them. In the book of Esther, it's Haman. And in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Easter, in the gospel, it is Satan who's come to attack them. And, and the enemy is seeking to destroy them. And yet God brings an advocate. In Esther, it is Mordecai. In the gospel, in Easter, it is Jesus Christ. And that advocate comes and rescues the people of God from destruction, And similar to Purim, we do have days of fasting, don't we? And of of grieving, the the holy week, the week leading up, especially Good Friday, we grieve over what creation did to the creator, but we grieve over our own sin. We grieve over the fact that, that that is what we deserve. We grieve that the one who loves us most took on our sin and paid the penalty in full and was tortured because of us. And so we grieve over that. And it's right that we do. But then comes Sunday, Resurrection Day, a day of feasting and gladness and joy for Christ has risen from the grave. I heard a story this week that just was um, really powerful. There was a man who went into the, the jungles of East Asia, a missionary with the Jesus film, okay, which is shown all around the world. And he goes into this tribe uh, who's never seen a movie before um, and never heard the name of Jesus And so he sets up his projector, however he does it, and he starts showing this movie to the tribe. And the tribe is watching this man, Jesus, who who loves, you know, the brokenhearted, who heals the blind, who makes the lame walk, who raises the dead, and their affections grow for this man, Jesus, and they love Jesus and they care for, they they love this man because they're seeing it afresh, something that we sadly become accustomed to. And then they get to the trial of Jesus and they see that Jesus is beaten without a trial. And the tribal men start getting very angry and they start yelling at the screen and they start yelling at the people on the screen that are beating Jesus and they're commanding them to stop, but they're not stopping. And so they start to attack the missionary who's showing the film. And, and so the missionary has to stop the film. He says, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. The story's not over yet. Just just wait. And so he calms him down, he gets him back in place, and he hits play and he continues the movie. And so the movie goes on. And as the movie goes on, they get to the crucifixion in which Christ dies. And they're overwhelmed with weeping and grieving and sadness So much so that again, the missionary had to stop the film to allow them some time to grieve and to compose themselves as they watch this story unfold. But he says to them, wait, wait, it's not over. It's not over. So he hits play and it gets to resurrection day and there is rejoicing and ear-deafening celebration and delight within the tribal members because Christ has risen from the dead. You see, this 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 uh, the celebration of Purim is certainly something that we celebrate at Easter, but it's something that we celebrate every Sunday of the year because we come together. The reason why we come together on Sunday is because Sunday is resurrection day. It is celebration day. It is victory day. And so let me ask you, when you are coming to church, is your posture as one who is coming to a funeral or one who is coming to a celebration? Come to church ready to party because this is a celebration, Because Christ is risen. Our enemy has been defeated. Our sins have been washed away. And we have eternity with our Savior. And so, how should we celebrate Purim? Celebrate it every Sunday. Come to church, ready to party, ready to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the good news of the gospel of Christ. And so, just to recap. Why should we celebrate Purim? Because this is our spiritual heritage, but also because God protected his promises, the line of the Savior who came. How should we celebrate Purim? You can celebrate it on the the 14th and 15th of Adar if you want. As a matter of fact, I'm posting something on Facebook of a Christian woman who does this, which I think is perfectly appropriate, but we should celebrate it every Sunday because we are celebrating the greatest victory of all. We said the bigger the victory, the bigger the celebration. They celebrated annually, we celebrate weekly because that's how good the gospel is and the victory of Christ. Finally, who should we celebrate at Purim? Um, Most holidays, there are certain people attached to the holiday. So for example, 4th of July, a lot of times we celebrate the signers of the Declaration of Independence, John Hancock in particular. Um, But who should we celebrate at Purim? Look at verse two of chapter 10 with me. It says, in all the acts of, of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai, yea, to which the king advanced him, are, the not, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the king of Media and Persia? For Mordecai, yea, the Jew, was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. And so in one sense, what we see here is that they're celebrating Mordecai. I don't think necessarily in an idolatrous form, but they're celebrating a man, an advocate who was in a position of power, who did not use his position of power to manipulate the situations for his own good, but for the good of God's people, who brought peace to the people of God, who, who, who was an advocate for their welfare. And so they celebrated Mordecai, I think in appropriate ways. But that's not the only person they celebrated. They also celebrated a much more important person, which I think is actually kind of buried in the name of this holiday itself. Verse 26 says, Therefore, they called these days Purim after the term Pur. Uh, Purim is the, the plural form of Pur. And if you remember, Pur is the casting of lots, which Haman did. Let's remind ourselves of it in verse 24. It says, for Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadetha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast Purr, that is, lots, to crush and to destroy them. Purr is what Haman, the enemy of the Jews, cast to determine the best day for the genocide of the Jews. It's lots or it's dice, and it's, it's seen as random chance. But can you just fathom here for a little bit, what a strange name to call a holiday. I mean, you are naming it after the method by which your enemy chose the day in which you would be wiped off the face of the earth. I mean, that is a strange way to name a holiday. And so why is it called Purim? Well, it's because even though God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, Purim is a celebration that God controls the lots. That despite what it looks like on the outside, that the world is being uh, put together by random chance, that God is in control of the chaos and God will accomplish his purposes and God will protect and deliver and save his people. And so who are they celebrating at Purim? Well, they're celebrating a man, Mordecai, and they're, sporting, they're, they're celebrating God, the Lord, who controls the lots. But who do we celebrate at Purim? Who do we celebrate Every Sunday. We don't simply celebrate a God and a man. We celebrate a God-man, Jesus Christ, who came and won the victory for us. Not, not Not by taking a position of power, but a position of humility. A man who, like Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Haman's sons, were hung on a pole. You know, it says gallows in the Bible as we've read it in the ESV. The literal translation is simply tree. That's what it means. And what the scriptures tell us is cursed is every man who is hung on a tree. And so Christ was hung on the gallows, hung on the tree for you and me, took our curse upon himself to give us salvation and rest and joy and feasting. And so we don't celebrate a God and a man, but we celebrate the God-man, Jesus Christ, as a hero of our deliverance let me end with this. Um, in this passage, uh, there, is a, there is a very strange verse that seems very out of place compared to the rest of the passage. A matter of fact, when we were in community group, I was like, I have no idea why this is here. Do you guys have any idea? And pretty much the consensus was none of us know why this is here. It's, it's chapter 10, verse 1, okay? And so I want to look at it with you real quick. It says, King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea it really does not connect to the verse before or the verse after. It seems very random. It's like, okay, why is this here, Lord? Why did you put this here? And and I don't want to claim to to know everything, um, but I think one thing that it shows us, one thing that it reminds us is that the victory is not complete. The people of God are still being governed by a pagan ruler, and there's still need for a greater victory. You see, victories in this world, whether it be the Packers in 2011 or the Jews in the book of Esther or a, a, a game-winning shot in basketball, whatever the victory is, it's limited, isn't it? And it's gonna change because defeat is coming down the line. For the Jews, they had many hard years after Esther and they had some victories, but they also had many hard Jews, many hard years. You see, Purim points forward Not only to a greater Purim at Christ's first coming, but the greatest Purim at Christ's second coming. The day when the people of God are not ruled by a human king, but by a divine king. King Jesus, the king of kings, who will bring total peace and total tranquility. Who accomplish the fullness of redemption. A king whose victory will last for all eternity. A king who will usher in an eternal celebration with no more fasting and no more mourning, but only gladness and rejoicing. Christian, the day is coming when our king will return. And what Revelation 11:14 says is that the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so, just to summarize, why should we every Sunday celebrate Purim? Really, three Purims. The first, the Purim of Esther's days, in which God delivered his people and preserved the line of the Savior from the Persian Empire of Haman, the second Purim, which is Christ's resurrection when he defeated our ultimate enemy of Satan, sin, and death, but also the Purim yet to come when Christ will bring a final and full victory, final and full gladness, final and full joy, and final and full feasting forever. I think we should celebrate Purim, not just two days a year, every day of the year as we celebrate the victory of God in Christ and the joy and gladness that it brings to our souls. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you have been an advocate for your promises and your people and your glory throughout the scriptures, throughout the history of the world. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, you have promised to advocate on our behalf. And we're so thankful to see your faithfulness throughout the scriptures, Lord. God, we, we pray that we would rejoice even in the midst of sorrow because sorrow exists in this world. Even when there is sadness, that we would rejoice in the victory of yours that has given us peace with you, who is, which has given us you to be our God and us to be your people. Make us a rejoicing people regardless of our circumstances. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.